reading today is taken from Isaiah, chapter 6, verses 1 to 6. And it's on page 691 in your Bibles if you want to follow it. Isaiah's Commission. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Beth. I'm just going to add a couple more verses to the end of that reading, if that's all right. Uh, I'm just going to carry on reading from verse 7, so if you've got your Bibles still there. Um, so you... Isaiah's just had his lips touched uh, with the coal, and then verse 7, with it he touched my mouth and said, see this has touched your lips, your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And I said, here I am, send me. So this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Sorry, I think I gave you the wrong... I, I cut short your verses, Beth, by accident. So I apologise. Not Beth's fault. Uh, completely my admin skills. So thank you. That's uh, Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1 to 8. And I thought... Um, I've kind of been a little bit inspired by Hannah and many others like her in this church who have um, had an experience of Jesus and their lives begin to change and they answer the call of God upon their lives. Uh, whenever you see it, it's so thrilling and exciting. And um, it's not just that um, suddenly someone goes and be a missionary in, in Malaysia or some far-flung place, although that does happen and it's wonderful to celebrate. Um, no matter who you are, when you encounter Christ in that way and you respond to his call, your life changes. Even if you don't ever leave the village you were born in, something happens when a call is put upon your life. And I just thought maybe over this week, and a few other weeks, we're just going to look at some callings in the Bible when people encounter the Lord and respond to his call, what that looks like. I thought it might be fun to do that over the next few weeks uh, of the autumn term. So that's why we've chosen Isaiah 6 this morning. Shall we pray as we look at this passage together? As you can tell, I've been singing too loudly and my voice is going already. So let's pray together. Father, thank you so much, Lord that you put a call upon our lives. That might sound a little bit scary at first, but actually, Father, we discover that when we hear your voice and respond to your call, um, our lives change for, for the better, and that glorious things happen, and that we discover you 
and a walk with Jesus that we never thought was possible. So Father, may your spirit this morning open up our ears to hear your voice this morning and your call upon our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I'm really struck by Isaiah's response to the Lord's call on his life. In verse 8, the Lord says, he asks a question, and the Lord asks, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And Isaiah responds, here am I, send me. I find that really miraculous almost, because sometimes if you've ever been in church and from the front, we ask for volunteers. You've never heard that, me ask for volunteers before, have you? And uh, if I said to you all this morning, um, I've got a job for someone in the church, um, who would like to volunteer? Uh, put your hand up. I'm not being a cynic, I don't think, but maybe most of you would probably think, wait a second, what's the job first before I put my hand up? And um, more than that, your second question might be to look around and see if anyone else puts their hand up first. And I wonder if Isaiah is for a moment just looking around to see when the Lord says, whom shall I send? Does he think to himself, firstly, Lord, what's the job? And second, does he look around to see if anyone else is going to put their hand up first? But I don't think he does. I think he's in such a place where as soon as the words left the Lord's lips, whom shall I send? He's like me, me. Now, I'm quite challenged by that. And it's my slight suspicion that even in our own personal walks with God and our own Christian lives, sometimes we can take a position more of, Lord, um, not sure what's the job. Or maybe not me, is there someone else? Or even might do it this way round, more likely sometimes we might ask God, God, will you fit in with my life rather than our hands up saying, Lord, how can I fit in your life? Do you see the difference? I think Isaiah is the right way. <laughs> and I wonder how we, over the next weeks, as we look at callings upon our lives, how can we get to the place where we're the sorts of people that would go, Lord, me, of course me. How does Isaiah get to that place? Well, first of all, he has a vision of Christ, okay? He's not just gonna put his hand up when a random voice in the sky says something. He's not gonna to respond to a God he does not know. Isaiah first has an incredible vision of Christ. Let's just read it for a moment. What does he see? What does Isaiah see? What well, he says, verse one, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord with his own eyes. And he saw him high and exalted in heaven, seated on a throne. And the train of his robe, presumably the Lord is wearing a long robe, fills the temple. So Isaiah is near the temple or in the temple. And if you can imagine the temple, it's probably about the size of this building. The train of the Lord's robe fills the temple. 
So it's quite an impressive sight. And there are angels all around, seraphim. If you've not come across seraphim before, they're a kind of category of angel, like cherubim, seraphim, etc. There's all kinds of categories of angels. Seraphim are there. They've got six wings, and they are hovering around the Lord, and they are saying, verse 3, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. I don't know if you can uh, picture that in your mind's eye, but it's impressive. And why do I say that Isaiah has a vision of Christ? Well, because in the New Testament, when John, in John's gospel, in John chapter 12, when he quotes from this passage in Isaiah, he then goes on to say that Isaiah saw Jesus's glory and wrote about him. So Isaiah is almost having like this vision of Christ enthroned in heaven, and he speaks about him. I think it's important uh, that Isaiah here, I'm going to argue that he has, he has this incredible vision of Christ, uh, but I'm going to say that he almost has two visions of Christ here. The first one is that he sees Christ in all his holiness. He sees Christ. He sees Jesus in all his splendor and holiness. Did you notice that in verse 1, this vision happens when King, the year that King Uzziah died? Okay, I don't think that's an accident that's mentioned there or this vision happens then. If you know your history of Israel and Judah, King Uzziah was a wonderfully good king. And he spent 52 years being the king of Judah in Jerusalem. So a long reign the time of prosperity, uh, success for Judah, protection from enemies, peace, good times, right? So King Uzziah was very impressive. It didn't end particularly well for Uzziah, but that's another story. Um, but Uzziah, in that time, you can imagine maybe Isaiah has met the king before. And he, in his presence, might have been in awe of, of Uzziah with all his finery and wealth and position and prestige. Has anyone ever met someone in that kind of stature before? I've, I've not personally met royalty or anything like that, but can you picture meeting someone like King Uzziah? The closest I've come actually was um, uh, during uh, the, my sabbatical, Claire and I visited Sandringham House. Does anyone know Sandringham House? It's one of uh, the king's Houses and it's in Norfolk, and you can buy a ticket and have a tour around Sandringham House. I found it fascinating because it's actually one of the houses he spends, you know, the king and the royal family spend time in. It's like one of their homes, and you walk around, it's really odd because you see, like, um, um, they put pictures on the mantelpiece of like family photos at Christmas, and you're sort of walking around the king's house thinking, Is this right? Should we be here? Um, it's all sort of roped off. You almost say, I'm treading on sort of, you know, sacred ground here because you're not allowed to touch anything. But you're sort of walking around someone's house, you're like, that's the closest I've come to, wow, look, you know, royalty. <laughs> and I'm kind of in the presence of royalty. And King Uzziah would have been like that for so many Judeans to see or meet King Uzziah. But he dies. And actually he dies because... Uh, King Uzziah went into the temple one day. He, he became a bit arrogant. And he walked into the temple one day because he thought he was all the business. And he could go into the temple and, and make offerings and sacrifices himself instead of the priests. And the priests are like horrified. And he suddenly, instantly becomes leprous. 
because the Lord's like, you can't do that. You're not holy enough. Even King Uzziah, in all his faithfulness to the Lord and holiness, could not stand in the presence of God. And now Isaiah is having a vision of the King of Heaven, Christ. And even the angels, see, when anyone meets a seraphim in the Bible, normally what happens is they're like, even a seraphim, their glow is so bright, you sort of shy away from them and have fear and trembling, even with seraphim. Now, there are seraphim flying around Christ, and they've got six pairs of wings, yeah? And they're only using two to fly. Why are they using only two to fly? Because the others, they're shielding themselves from the glory and holiness of Christ. Yeah? And it says that even as they're singing this song, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty, the whole earth is full of his glory, even the voices of the seraphim are shaking the temple. And yet even the power and glory of these angels, they shield themselves from the glory of Christ. Now, I... If I said to you, close your eyes and picture Jesus, what are the first images that come to your mind? Is it baby Jesus in a manger? <laughs> Is it Jesus walking by the Sea of Galilee with his friends? Is it Jesus before Pontius Pilate or Jesus on a cross? Or how many of us have probably, properly understood and had that kind of vision of Christ in his holiness and his kingly splendor. Isaiah sees that. And he's, he's terrified. Um, he says in verse 5, Woe to me, I cried, I'm ruined. For I am a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. It's almost like Isaiah is saying, I shouldn't have really seen that, because <laughs> now that I have seen it, I think I might die. It's like he's walked into a place that he feels like he shouldn't have belonged. I was trying to think of an illustration for this. I couldn't think of one. I, I don't know, you, you suddenly accidentally stumble into a room, and it's like a high court with all the... Uh, important people there and holy important things are happening and you've sort of walked in with your flip-flops and Bermuda shorts or something and you're like, I don't think I belong here. This isn't right. Isaiah feels that way. Now it's not because, because, see, when you encounter the holiness of Christ, Isaiah is not feeling, oh my goodness, how told off do I feel? Does that make sense? He's not looking at Christ going, oh my goodness, he's really telling me off now. Look how angry he is with me. That's not so much what the holiness of the Lord is about. It's more like, think of holiness as like his goodness. Like light. Light is a good thing, yes? It does judge the darkness, but it's a good thing. Think of holiness as a good thing. It's his goodness and his love and his light is so overwhelming that it reveals all the darkness and wrongness of our own lives. Does that make sense? 
uh, I've actually, I don't know many people who've had visions of Christ. I haven't had an actual vision of Jesus. But I've, I met someone who was quite close to me did one day have a, a vision of Jesus. And he wasn't in a good place. He wasn't, you know, he wasn't what you'd call a saintly person. But one day the Lord tried to reach him. And he had a vision at night of Christ, a bit like this. And he called me up and he said, and he was absolutely terrified. He's like, I've seen the Lord. And he was, he was really shaken. And, I said, and he, I said, well, what was so scary about it? And he said this, his love was too much for me. His love was too much for me. I couldn't stay in the presence of that love. Now, the gospel writers do pick up on things like this. John says that light, when Christ came into the world, light has come into the world. But men rejected the light and loved the darkness because their deeds were evil and they could not stay in the light. Have you ever seen that before? Maybe you've gone into your garage or something and you turn the light on at night and you hear a little scurrying noise or something like that. We love the darkness, we do. I know we love a sunny day, but many of us keep a lot of our lives in the darkness, hidden, the real me. And when you stand in the presence of Christ, like Isaiah, even Isaiah is like, woe is me, I am a man of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the Lord. Do you remember Peter, the apostle, when he's fishing with Jesus, and Jesus says, you know, cast your net out one more time. And they haven't caught anything all night. Peter says, all right, go on then, I'll humour you. And he puts the nets out and they haul in this massive haul of fish. And for a moment, Peter sees, I see you, Lord. And the first thing he says is, woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips. The holiness of the Lord Maybe some of you have felt that kind of conviction in your life. You may not have seen the Lord Jesus, but the Holy Spirit's hand is upon you. That you know deep down you can't really stand in the presence of God. You feel the sinfulness. You know it to be true. You feel that weight. I remember the first time I ever walked uh, into a church in my early 20s. I'd been in a church before, but... Um, came back to church, if you like, and I walked into a church that was filled with uh, many, many people just worshipping the Lord, and, and uh, everyone was so nice and friendly and all of this, and I felt the judgment of God, because I felt I don't belong in a place like this, I don't know this Lord, and I felt that conviction. Some of you might have felt that conviction that I, Isaiah feels here, I'm ruined, And it does make me think, actually, that there are many people who are quite boastful out in the world when it comes to things about God and Jesus, or might be quite flippant or careless about the things of God. And they might imagine that they're going to be okay if one day they met God or whatever. No one in the Bible ever meets the risen Lord Jesus Christ in all his splendor and glory and stands in a boastful manner. Nobody Even his enemies at the end of the Bible says they will just bow the knee and acknowledge that he is the king. So Isaiah feels that way. Now, if the vision was to have stopped there, 
I think Isaiah would never have been what I would call totally surrendered to Jesus. I think his approach, if the vision had stopped there, I think his approach to God and Jesus would be one mostly of fear and intimidation. At best, he could be a servant doing a master's will, but he would only ever keep him at a distance. I'm not worthy to be here. But it is the second part of this vision. He's seen the holiness of the Lord, but he's now going to see the humility of Christ. And that changes everything. Because as soon as he says, I don't belong here, I'm ruined, an angel of God, one of the seraphim, flies to Isaiah with a burning coal in his hand. Do you see that, verse 6? That the um, angel had taken from the altar near the temple, in the temple. And he takes this coal and he touches Isaiah's mouth with it. I think that might have burnt a little bit, I don't know. Uh, But let's say it didn't burn him, but it just did this wonderful thing. He touched Isaiah's lips with this burning coal. And he says, verse 7, with, he, uh, with it he touched my mouth and said, see, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sins atoned for. As soon as Isaiah steps into the presence of this holy Christ and wants to run away, Christ says, no, you belong here with me. I'm going to make you fit for heaven. I'm going to atone for all that stuff you think makes you too inappropriate for being with Christ or God. I'm going to take all of that away. I'm going to atone for your sins. Now, I'm going to embellish this a little bit and imagine what does Isaiah see at this moment? Well, he must see the altar. And obviously the coal, it says it's already burning. So the altar, there's a a burning going on at the altar. And if you know your Bible at all, what is burning on the altar? The sacrificial animal. The bull or the goat or the lamb. Isaiah would have seen that and he would have seen maybe the blood and he might have seen this animal literally atoning for his sins And I'm going to just embellish it a little bit more as well. Because later in Isaiah, we know that he also has visions of Christ on the cross. Where he sees the Lamb of God taking away the sins of the world. And it's holding those two visions of Jesus together. If we manage to hold those two visions of Jesus together, and we see Christ as he really is, we might get to a place where we can say, here am I, I'm here to do your will, send me. And it's this, the holiness of Christ. I'm aware of my sin, I'm aware of who I am, I'm aware that I've got nothing to stand on in Christ's presence. But then it's the humility of Christ, seeing the same Jesus, then allowing the world to crucify him and kill him that he does that for you and for me. He allows it. Imagine seeing that Holy Christ and he says, you can hit me in the face if you want to. You can spit on me. You can rip out my beard and you can stab me in my side and not even that 
would let me drive you from my presence. You belong with me and I will atone for your sins. That's what he does. Even on the cross, he says, forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. If we can have a vision of both of those things and see the true Christ, as John does in Revelation, where he sees the lion of Judah, but he also sees the lamb that was slain, and he sees them together. That's why, from that moment that Isaiah knows he's atoned for, didn't matter what Christ said to him next, he would volunteer for it. He would volunteer for it. The problem, brothers and sisters, that we have today is that it's hard for us to see Jesus. There are many shiny things in the world. There are many paths of life we can take. There are many problems and stresses and decisions. I don't know about you, but I get overwhelmed with all of that. Have I made the right choices? There's so many options available to us. Unprecedented in any other age of history, we have all this ability before us. It's hard for us to see Jesus and all of that as he really is because we're so distracted. And therefore it's hard for us to make the decision to follow Christ with our whole lives because we, well, I want a bit of that, but I want a bit of this. And here's my agenda and this is what I want for my life. So I think in this season what we need to do is pray together that we have that clear vision of Christ in our lives. You may not have, well, you may. You may go to bed tonight, pray for a vision of Jesus and wake up uh, ready to roll. Or you may be just like everyone, most of the rest of us. The way we see Christ is by the Holy Spirit opening our eyes to see him in the word of God and amongst the fellowship. And we should ask the Holy Spirit to convict us of our sin, but then to give us an overwhelming revelation of the humility and love of Jesus on the cross. So let's pray. Father, I'm reminded of that wonderful hymn, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Father, maybe some of us this morning wonder, it's been a long time since we felt the presence of Jesus, the real presence of Christ. Or maybe for some of us we wonder if we ever have we're just trying to muddle through life. Lord, maybe we could all be bold enough uh, to say, yes, Lord, we need to see Christ as he is, even if it means he asks me to step up and I don't even know what he's asking for. But Lord, help us to have that humility, that humble heart, and that great vision of Jesus that would just so overwhelm us that nothing compares to him, no king or queen, no amount of riches or treasures, no amount of uh, things in our lives could ever compare to what we have seen in Christ. Grant us, Holy Spirit, the eyes of faith.
to see Jesus as he really is. We ask in his name. Amen.